Um, and, and thank Rick for the one who set all the projects up. He's been the guy who's like interacting with the ranch and getting it all ready. <clears throat> yeah. Do we have a trailer yet, by the way? <laughs> okay. We're working on needing a trailer to bring things down. The ones that we had are gone. So uh, we need a new trailer. Okay. Special event. New member welcome. God is adding people to his church, to this church. And so in a minute or two, I want to introduce you to those new members. But let me just give you some demographics about who they are, because I think it's a really cool cross-section of our city. Um, they range in age from 19 to 80 years. So we have a new oldest member, but don't, but don't make a lot of it, but he looks young, young for 80. Uh, they come from different places, as near as right here in the Denver area, born and raised, all the way to Togo, Africa, so halfway around the world. There are singles. There are some with children. There are some with great-grandchildren. There are three women, four men. They look like a cross-section of Aurora, which I think is really cool because um, we should be like looking like the environment that we're in. That means that God is bringing his people from this place. And all of them are followers of Jesus Christ, which is why God has led them here and why they want to become members. So before we introduce them, let me say a couple things about membership and why it matters. We, what we mean by membership is identifiable commitment to a specific local church. It's when a person can say, this is my church. I'm throwing in my lot with these people. I recognize my need to be in community with other believers for my spiritual growth and for incentive to do the mission of Jesus Christ. And so that's what we mean by membership. There's a lot of passages in Scripture that point to the necessity of being involved in participating in a local body. I'll just mention one of them. It's Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, where Paul is describing to, he's describing the local church in Ephesus and what their experience should be. And, and he said this, that they are, we are speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's a complex sentence. So, so let me just follow the backbone of the logic. He says, we together are to grow to become like Christ in our character, in our values, in our mission. And our growth is like that of a normal human body. It has a head that is the control center. It has parts that are held together with ligaments and joints. And when each part is working properly in a normal human body, then it is healthy. It builds itself up in love. And Paul says that's an analogy of the local church. It has a head a control center, Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He's the one we're becoming like. The joints and the parts are all the believers in the church with all their various gifts and abilities contributing different things to the whole. And when all those parts are using those gifts and abilities in the bond of love, 
then we grow to be more and more like Jesus, our head. But you can't do that by yourself. You can only do that in community. You can only build up one another if there's another and if there's a bunch of others. So membership is just a commitment to being a part of that whole equation, part of that body for your good, for the good of the church, for the glory of Christ. And it's God's will for every follower of Jesus Christ. So we have a process. We have a way of making known that somebody is joining this church, that this is the place of their commitment. It involves a few things. There's a next steps class where we talk about what we believe, what we value, what we do, kind of an overview of the church. There's an interview with an elder afterwards where we just talk about, is there any leftover questions, anything you need to know before you would say, yeah, I'm all in. Is this the right thing? Is this the right time? And then there's a member agreement that each one signs saying, yeah, I'm in. Things that we commit to, God helping us to to be invested. And then that brings us to today where we present the new members to celebrate God's goodness because He's the one who's adding them to the fellowship. We know that from 1 Corinthians 12, 18, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. And He was talking about a local church. So He's arranging (laughs) and He's adding to us. So let me introduce the new members. And good, we've got a clear space here. So I'm going to be calling you all up by name, and you'll come up here, and then we have one more thing to do after that. Um, So let's just uh, call them all up one at a time. There's seven, the number of perfection. This is a perfect perfect new member welcome here. I'll start with Tom and Peggy Smith. Parents of Ann Homerickhausen. And Elijah Homerickhausen, come on up here, grandson of the grandparents. Okay, I'm going to get your last name wrong, so bear with me. Rama Gyamfi. 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 All right. Sorry, I missed the M. (laughs) From Togo. (laughs) Christine Tormolin. Formerly (laughs) O'Hare. Newly married. Larry Matarese. Neighbor to Nate and Hannah Fundenberger. (laughs) Former neighbors to Sandy and then Steve Eckert. And Caden Newbill. Caden. Student at the School of Mines. Did you pass your semester? You did. I I bet you got A's. (laughs) All right. Each of these members has a story to tell about God's grace in their life, how they got saved, how they found this church, why they're joining. Can't hear all seven stories, so I've asked Caden if he would tell us his story, kind of as an example for everybody. And I've got a mic. Is it on? Yeah. All right. Go for it. Does it work? Okay. Yeah. Um, So I'll start with my salvation. So I don't have the typical story that a lot of you have. Um, I didn't have a family that grew up and nourished me in Christ. Um, Really was totally contrary to God my entire life. Tried to disprove God. Um, I thought that science was the world and that 
everything was contrary to God because of what science said. Um, now I know that's not true. Um, in fact, I even like went to the extent of like trying to do drugs and doing everything contrary to God's law. Um, but then my senior year, my friends invited me to this youth group. And I was like, heck no. Like, that's all about following rules. I'm not going to do that. But then they told me there would be girls there. So I was like, okay, <laughs> I, I will go. Um, so I ended up going. And it was an interesting experience because I had never seen anything like this. There were people worshiping God just like we did now and never seen that in my life. Um, also, Christ says, like, you will know that you're my disciples by your love. And I had never seen that before. But being in this basement and being in this guy's backyard, like you just walk into this backyard, you're just met with love. You're just met with hugs everywhere. And I'd never seen that before in my life. So I realized there was something different. So I started with John. Well, actually, I started with Daniel, which is an interesting story. <laughs> But then, didn't understand it, and then I got to John, and so I kind of got to realize who Christ was, which was amazing. And then I started Romans, uh, read chapter 1 through 3, and got so scared at God's wrath that I stopped. Um, but by the grace of God, I picked it up a week later, and ever since then, I've realized that I needed Christ, and He is my life. So from that, I've just kind of gone on my own. My, my family's not a part of my faith, but they kind of grow me because I realize where I came from. Um, but now I'm just praising God every day. And then how I came to this church, so I used to go to a different church and then went to school in Ohio. So when I came back here, I was like, well, I need to find a new church because kind of my theological views had changed a bit. So I looked up Wayne Grudem's doctrine statement church, and then I found this. Um, but that's not the reason why I'm joining the church. It's not because of the doctrine statement. Um, it's because of the people. Because a lot of people here have amazing testimonies which is so people that he's brought here is amazing. Um, that gospel-centered preaching, preaching the gospel every single week. You can't go a week here without hearing the gospel, and that's what we need. That's our food. That's our bread, um, which we need. And communion, like obeying the Lord and his commands of giving us things that we can follow. So I really appreciate that and appreciate all the members, appreciate all the staff and pastors and elders. So, awesome. yeah. Wow, yeah. So thank you. Thanks. <clears throat> We're really glad you didn't stop at Romans chapter 3. <laughs> well, we're going to have the elders come up. And we're going to officially, we're going to pray over you. And then we're going to welcome you and present you to the church where we can give our praise to God for that. Okay, so Dan, would you lead us in prayer? Absolutely. Father God, I thank you, Lord. I thank you for bringing these believers here and making them members of this local body of believers, this local church, Father God. I pray, Father, that they would sense your pleasure in them making the, the sacrifice to join this church and to be a part of this body of believers, Father God, that they would sense your love for them, that they would sense from the people themselves a love that goes beyond understanding, Father God. And I just pray, Lord, that each individual up here contributes then their own love in reverse to this church, Father that we would build this group of believers in this community, Father God, and we would spread the gospel. We would herald your name as the true Father and Savior of, our, of ourselves, Father God. So, so I thank you, Lord. 
for your son, for what he did on the cross for us. And I thank you for these believers here that are standing before us, committing themselves to this local body of believers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> thank you. All right. Praise God for our new members. <clears throat> we have a lunch at our house afterwards, 1130. Okay? If you don't know how to get there, talk to us later. All right. All right. You can return to your seats. And we do have children's ministry. Yes, we do. We have children's ministry. Now is the time to go and take advantage of that, if you would like. All right, if you have a Bible with you, I encourage you to turn in it to Luke chapter 19. <clears throat> we continue our Advent sermon series during the Christmas season, and we're taking one passage from each of the four Gospels where Jesus explains His Advent, why He came into the world, and why it's worth celebrating. Our text this morning is from Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. We're going to jump right in and read that. He entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your amazing love that pursues the sinner, that goes after the enemy, that comes to the person who's dead in their trespasses and sins, that you would come into the world and Join us in our flesh, though not in our sin, so that you could rescue us from our sin. That is your great love, your extravagant grace to us. And so we ask that this morning we could see it again, experience it anew, be encouraged at how you pursue us, and also receive it in faith 
I don't know where everybody's at this morning, but Lord, you have our attention, and we pray that you would do the work in our souls that needs to be done. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> a few years ago, a hiker got lost in the Collegiate Peaks area west of Buena Vista, and that caught my attention because the place where he got lost is someplace that I've been. Uh, it's called the Pine Creek Drainage, and Howard Platts and I and our boys went on a backpacking trip there about seven or eight years ago. Um, and so here's what the article said happened, this missing hiker. He had climbed one of the 14ers in the area, and then a snowstorm suddenly, unexpectedly blew up. And so he, he, he tried to go back to where he came, and, but instead of retracing his steps to the north, he actually went south and ended up in this valley where he had no idea where he was, and he didn't have the gear to, to, to get out with snow now getting deeper. And so he hunkered down and got some shelter, uh, managed to build a little fire, and he waited. He waited for Colorado Search and Rescue to come for him. And a few days later, that's what happened. Um, they spotted his heat signature of his fire and uh, located his position, and they just dropped in and they saved him. Our passage today is the account of a search and rescue mission. <clears throat> the lost man was Zacchaeus. Not in a physical wilderness, but he was lost, nevertheless, and we'll find out how he was lost. But the man who comes to the rescue, the search and rescue, is Jesus, who said, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That is his explanation for what happened on that day when he came through Jericho. And it's his explanation for why he came into the world and why he has come into your life, if he has. He came to seek and to save the lost. This morning, we're going to follow the story and connect it to our lives because it's not just about his rescue. It's the story of everybody who's been rescued by Jesus Christ. We'll break it into two parts, the rescue and the rescuer, <laughs> and make application along the way. The rescue. The passage begins with Jesus. He's passing through Jericho, it says. This connects it to the, to the larger story of the Gospel of Luke because we're getting now towards the end where he is making his way to Jerusalem. That's where he's going as he's going through Jericho. He's going down to Jerusalem where very soon he is going to finish his work. He told his disciples, everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished in Jerusalem. That meant being shamefully treated, flogged, and then crucified, but raised on the third day. That's the destiny that Jesus is moving towards as he passes through Jericho. But on his way through town, he encounters Zacchaeus, and he comes to his rescue. The rescue proceeds through five stages, which we can describe in five words. The first word is lostness. Lostness. 
Lust is the word Jesus used to refer to Zacchaeus. And verse 2 introduces us to what it means to be lost, starting with this. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus is a Greek form of a Hebrew name that means clean or innocent. There's irony in that because what Zacchaeus did for a living was not clean or innocent. He was a chief tax collector. We learned about tax collectors last week. They were Jewish men who collected taxes for the Roman government from their fellow Jews. After the Romans got their share, the tax collector could keep everything else. So this encouraged the tax collector to just keep on collecting and collecting and collecting because everything went into his own pocket. It rewarded greed. It was, it was a form of extortion. And Zacchaeus was very successful in this business because he's a chief tax collector. He, he's a high up there. He's well known. Maybe he's got people working for him. And he's rich. He, he's done well for himself as a tax collector. He's become wealthy. The fallout from all of that for Zacchaeus, you you heard it when we read it, they grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That was the label that people know him by. Disreputable. How could you disgrace your family like this? You've been executed, communicated from the synagogue because you consort with Gentiles. You're unclean. That was the fallout. Here's a man who valued wealth more than his family relationships and more than his relationship with God. Zacchaeus, contrary to what his name means, is anything but clean or innocent. This is what it looks like to be lost. Lost is the natural condition of man separated from God. Living your own way on your own terms for your own goals. That's lostness. And we see that. That's everybody's situation. That's not just Zacchaeus. That's our natural-born situation. Because what the Apostle Paul said maps onto this. He was talking to a crowd of philosophers and onlookers in the city of Athens as he was preaching Jesus to them. And he said this in Acts 17, the God who made the world made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. And now he commands all people everywhere to repent. That's a description of lostness. Everyone groping around in the dark, trying to find your way in life, looking for what's going to satisfy, what's going to really provide significance and happiness. And God says, you're not going to find those things unless you seek them in me. Unless you... Seek me and have relationship with me. Repent of doing life apart from me. All people everywhere are lost. 
if we're out of relationship with our God, our Creator. Zacchaeus is just one example of a person living that way. He's been going after wealth. He's been going after what money can buy, and he's got it. He got there. He, he lived the dream, and yet he's lost because he hasn't found where true significance and satisfaction lies, and it lies in relationship with God. We should take note of this. Lost people do not all appear to be lost. Lost people can be millionaires. Lost people can look like they have it all together. They can be living the dream and be the envy of everyone, but they are separated from God. They are living apart from Him if they do not have relationship with their God and Savior. <clears throat> what they need, what we all need, is forgiveness for doing life without Him. We need to find Him and be restored to relationship with Him. That's what Zacchaeus needed. And Zacchaeus seemed to realize it, which leads to the next stage of the rescue, which is longing. <clears throat> longing. Jesus is passing through town. He's got a crowd around Him because at this point in the ministry, word has gotten out. Here's this great teacher. Here's this miracle worker. He casts out demons. He even, he even announces forgiveness of sin. There's buzz in the air. This could be the Messiah. This is the deliverer foretold by the prophets. Well, apparently Zacchaeus has heard about Jesus. He's heard that he's in town, and he really wants to see him. He was seeking to see who Jesus was. I've heard about him. I, don't, I want a firsthand knowledge of this guy. <clears throat> and he couldn't see him because he was short. He was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. <laughs> we asked Spencer if he might lead us in that as a closing song, but he opted for another choice, which is a better choice. But <laughs> So he does something unusual. He does something that a rich man would normally never do. He runs ahead, and he climbs a tree so he can see Jesus coming through. You don't see rich people doing things like that. I don't think you're going to see Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk climbing a tree to see a celebrity, even if it's Taylor Swift. <laughs> She's the person of the year in Time Magazine. Children do that but not adults, especially not rich ones. But Zacchaeus does that. He was willing to be undignified, to look like a fool, to see who Jesus was. He wanted to know more. I want to know firsthand about this great teacher, this one who delivers people, the one who, who pronounces your sins are forgiven. Was it guilt that drove him? Was it yearning? For redemption. It would appear so because of how the story plays out, as we're going to see. He repents of his sins. He senses he's not clean, he's not innocent, and Jesus may be the one who has all the answers. And friends, that's a necessary part of every salvation story, every rescue of a lost person. At some point, Two things have to happen in your heart and soul. First is an awareness that I am not clean. 
I am not innocent. I need forgiveness. That has to be there. And then second, there has to be this knowledge that Jesus, maybe he's the answer. I I need to look to him to deal with my sin issue, my uncleanness. Maybe he's somebody who can lead me to wholeness and away from my guilt. We have to have those two things in our heart because unless we know we're lost, we don't look for rescue. If we think we're fine, I've got this, I've got things figured out, we don't seek out Jesus as Savior. We have to admit we're lost before we look for rescue. And that was my story. And and it was Caden's story. (laughs) When I went to college, too, I was not interested in Jesus. I was interested in getting a degree, getting money, getting a great career. And then when people started coming to my dorm saying, hey, would you like to hear about Jesus? Well, I didn't turn him away, but I knew I was going to say no at the end. (laughs) Because that seemed irrelevant. That just seemed like a way to totally sidetrack you off of the real path of life into some crazy religious fanatic thing that's just totally irrelevant. That's how it started out. But somewhere along the three semesters that people keep coming to my door, I started to get a conscience issue. They're right. (laughs) I'm not innocent. And something has to be done about that. And then the door opened to looking to Christ to solve that. Zacchaeus was aware. He was desperate to see who Jesus was. And as it turns out, he got more than he bargained for. But everything that he hoped for. The next stage of the rescue is calling. Jesus calling. So Zacchaeus is up in the tree, and Jesus passes under the tree with the crowd. And he looks up to see him. And he says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Well, Zacchaeus didn't see that coming. (laughs) After all, he's in a tree, right? (laughs) He's not exactly blocking the road. Um, You know, you can't avoid him. He wants this conversation with you. I mean, no, he's up here. You could just totally ignore the guy. But Jesus looks up. He singles out the man in the tree, even though he's surrounded by people. It's the man in the tree that he singles out and focuses on. I must stay at your house today. An overnight guest. Jesus is inviting himself into the man's home, into his life, to stay with him. That's a gospel call, really. An invitation to relationship with God through his son, Jesus. It's a rescue signal. Come over this way. Here's the path to safety, to forgiveness, to peace, to wholeness. Come over this way. This is the way home. It's through Jesus coming into your life and dwelling with you. That's the call each of us needs to hear and that each of us will hear if we are truly seeking the Lord. In Jeremiah 29, 13, and 14, the Lord made this promise to his straying people, to Israel exiled in Babylon for their sin, and he made a promise to them that he makes to us, you will seek me and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, 
declares the Lord. I don't think it's too much to say that Jesus is more interested in being found than man is interested in seeking him. His call is always there. Wherever Christ is preached as Savior, but there are few who are listening, who are seeking. We are so easily caught up in everything else in the world except Christ. The Lord spoke about this long before Christ came in Isaiah 65. 1 and 2, He said, The Lord said, I was ready to be sought by those who did not ask for me. I was ready to be found by those who did not seek me. I said, here am I, here am I, to a nation that was not called by my name. I spread out my hands all the day to a rebellious people who walk in a way that is not good, following their own devices. Do you see the heart of God in this? The barrier to forgiveness for sin and God's welcome does not lie with God. It lies with us, with sinful man who will not seek the Lord. He is more ready to be found than we are to seek him. There was a crowd around Jesus, but it seems that there was only one man who was seeking him. A man burdened in conscience, looking for something that money wasn't giving him. And that is the man who was eager to respond when Jesus called his name. Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your home. I hope you've heard that call. And more importantly, that you've responded to it or that you will respond to it even this morning because Jesus is the answer to your heart's deepest longings and He is calling now. And I'll come back to that again. But He calls out to Zacchaeus and that leads to the next stage of the rescue, which is conversion. Conversion. Jesus said, hurry and come down. And Zacchaeus obeyed to the letter. It says, he hurried and came down. (laughs) He wasn't slack about it. He did exactly what Jesus said. And more than that, he received Jesus joyfully. That's the response that saves. That's stepping on board the search and rescue helicopter that has been provided for you. Jesus is the pilot. It's willing obedience to the Savior out of a joyful heart that He has looked upon you with His favor. Now, there's more to the content of the salvation message itself. We'll come to that soon enough. But this is what receiving Christ as Savior looks like. It looks like obedience and joy to have Jesus in your life. It's not just about receiving or believing certain facts about Jesus. The crowd around him, they knew facts about Jesus. He was interesting. But that doesn't make you a Christian. What makes you a Christian is not just believing facts or even doctrines, though it involves that, but it's about receiving a person into your life and being glad that he is there like what Zacchaeus did. 
Salvation is not only about forgiveness of sin, it's finding God through Christ and finding Him to be more than you could ever ask for. A a God who is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. It's it's finding that God... (laughs) And being joyful over that. Realizing also he is just because he will by no means clear the guilty. Guilt will be dealt with. But he is pursuing us with his mercy. That's the God who invites us into relationship with him. To those who answer the call of Jesus. To this invitation to open your heart to him. That's the moment when everything changes for you. When you begin to change from within, you become a new creation. And that leads to the last step of the rescue, which is transformation. Transformation. Here's what happens to Zacchaeus after Jesus comes to stay with him. They're in his house, and he comes to dinner, and then probably conversation after dinner. At some point in the evening, Zacchaeus stands up and makes an announcement. Like, I got to say something. (laughs) Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. (laughs) That's, That's a radical change in his heart. And he was really good at taking money from people. Now he wants to give it away. Having Jesus in his life has totally changed what he's living for. He's not living for the almighty dollar anymore. He's just content that he has Jesus in his life. He talks about giving away half of his goods to the poor. That's a statement of unbridled generosity. Old Testament law did not require anyone give away half of what they own. Tithing only required 10%. 20% was considered generous in Judaism. More than that was considered unwise. But Zacchaeus says, I give half of it away. That's extreme generosity, but that's what happens. That's the change. Instead of taking, you're giving. Not only does he become generous, but he wants to make things right with people that he's wronged because his mind goes to the topic of defrauding others, which means illegally obtaining other people's money. If I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. He knows he's done it. The problem is he's been doing it for so long, he doesn't even know all the people he's defrauded. They're going to have to come to him. (laughs) He's going to have to ask. But he's ready to go above and beyond what the law required for restitution. The law prescribed full repayment plus 20% for most crimes. He says, I'll go beyond that. I pay back four times as much. (laughs) What's the takeaway? Genuine salvation, having Jesus in your life, changes you from within. You don't stay the same 
It changes what you live for. It changes what you value, what your heart is wrapped up in, what guides and directs your life. You become someone who rejoices in Jesus, and out of that joy, you give away. You give away your life. You give away your possessions. You're, you're not so consumed with me, and it's got to be all about my world, my comfort. There's this openness, this desire to move outwards and bless other people with what you've been given. That's what salvation looks like. Because after, Jesus, after Zacchaeus stands up and makes this announcement, Jesus says, today salvation has come into this house. How do I know? Because he's given away his money. <laughs> this guy who used to be collecting it. That's salvation. That's what it does. That's being born again. That's a new creation. <clears throat> this trans transformation stands out when you compare how Zacchaeus responded to a guy in the previous chapter, the rich young ruler. So in Luke chapter 18, there was another rich guy who came to Jesus. And the rich guy came to him and he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What good thing? Jesus told him, sell all you have, distribute to the poor, and come, follow me. But what was this guy's reaction? He became very sad, for he was extremely rich, and he went away. Two rich guys who approached Jesus, two different results. Zacchaeus gladly receives Christ, gives his money away. The ruler rejects the call of Christ. He wants to keep his money. What's the difference? Conversion. <laughs> Belief. Receiving Christ. Responding to the call and being changed. It changes you. There's a root level change in our hearts that makes us gladly obey Christ and give ourselves away for the sake of His name. Now, change isn't always that dramatic for a believer. Um, not everybody has a story like this. <laughs> there are some people who have the story, I was a drug addict and now I'm clean. It has happened. God saved me. Great. That doesn't work for everybody necessarily. Some people are like, you know, I used to be like <clears throat> so angry. I was the road rage guy. Everything was just coming out of me all the time. Now I'm as gentle as a lamb. God has changed me. Okay, there's stories like that, but that's not everybody's story. There, there is still besetting sin. We don't become sinless when we accept Christ and are born again. There's transformation, but it's not complete. It won't be complete until heaven. There's still stuff there, but we are a new creation. There will be change even if it frustrates us that we're not changing as fast as we'd like. That itself is evidence of the change. <laughs> if that's something that's missing in your life, this inner relish for Christ, this glad obedience, this joy, it is time to do some self-evaluation. And not for the purpose of being paralyzed with introspection like I tend to do, getting all depressed. Um, but just be honest about where you're at. Are you more like the rich young ruler who was interested in Jesus at first, but then he went away? Or more like Zacchaeus, who was changed, who followed through? 
You should be concerned. Here's, here's a scenario in which you should be concerned. If you can't remember ever being excited about Jesus, or especially if it made you look undignified in somebody else, in somebody else's eyes. If you never remember being excited about him. If you never get something out of your devotions or never have them. If you rarely initiate a conversation about Christ, even among believers, let, let alone unbelievers. Or if you simply don't care that much about Jesus, but you care a lot about other things. You should be concerned because it could be that you are still lost, that you are not a Christian. And if that's the case, don't delay. <laughs> Ask the Lord to forgive your sins. Come into your life and save you. And, and then let somebody else know that you asked that so they can be involved in your life and help you follow through. And that would be the start of a whole new life. Maybe you struggle with zeal today, but your conversion is real. You do follow Christ, but life happened, <laughs> and things got hard, and now your enthusiasm and your habits have waned a bit, but the desire is still there, and it's real. It could be just like the disciples in the garden who couldn't continue watching and praying even for an hour, and Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We are weak. We do sometimes go through dry periods where we're more aware of our failures than of God's grace. And if that's your situation, there's a way forward. We can pray like David did in Psalm 51, 12, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. So here's, here's a guy who is in a hard spot, but he remembers there was a time when I was so full of joy, when it was new for me, when I was just really engaged with you, Lord, and then I lost that, and I want that back again. Restore to me that joy. That's where it starts. And then there's ways to, to move in that direction. Remind yourself of who you are in Christ. I've found it helpful to go back to the three statements that Paul makes in Romans 1, 6, and 7 about who, who you are if you're a believer in Jesus. These things that never change, they're, they're true 24-7. The three things are, I belong to Jesus Christ, I am loved by God, I am called to be a saint. That's how he addresses the church in Rome. That's who you are, even on your worst days. <laughs> you are but you belong to Jesus. You are loved by God. You are called to be a saint. And here's another truth that's always true. Psalm 16, 6, for the believer. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. <laughs> when you are broke, <laughs> when you are dealing with the healthcare system, when you are dealing with the judicial system or whatever it is that's weighing on you, well, I know this. I have a beautiful inheritance. <laughs> <laughs> and 
And we can call to mind the promises of God to the believer, like Psalm 23, 6. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. (laughs) We talk to ourselves from God's Word. We tell God's words to ourselves so that we can make that way back towards joy, towards Zacchaeus' kind of joy. And we do that with other believers. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near from Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. If you haven't been to a discipleship group for a while, you are missing out on one of God's primary means to stir up love and good works in your life. That's what they're for. There is a pathway to joy. We can take it. So, summarize the rescue of Zacchaeus. He represents what happens to any person who puts their trust in Christ as Savior. We go from lost to found. We go from groping in the dark, trying to find what's going to give us our lives meaning, to what really gives meaning, (laughs) what really fulfills, which is Christ who brings us to God. We go from taking to giving. That's the rescue. Let's close with part two, which is the rescuer. This won't take as long. But this is what the whole story is building to. The account ends with Jesus explaining what this event points to, which is why he came into the world. Listen to verses 9 and 10 again. And Jesus said to him, that is to Zacchaeus, Today salvation has come come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost Why was Zacchaeus changed? Why has salvation come into this house? It wasn't because of Zacchaeus, ultimately. It was because of Jesus. Jesus came to seek and to save Zacchaeus. And that's why he was saved. Now, that sounds a little odd when you think about the story. Wasn't it Zacchaeus who sought out Jesus? (laughs) It says he was seeking to see who Jesus was. Zacchaeus is the seeker in the story from all outward appearances. Jesus is just passing through Jericho on his way to Jerusalem. He apparently wasn't going to stop So Zacchaeus ran ahead. He climbed the tree. He was seeking Jesus. So shouldn't Jesus have said, today salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus sought me to be saved? But he doesn't say that. Salvation has come to this house for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is the ultimate seeker. He's the decisive seeker. 
He is the Savior. He's the search and rescue helicopter pilot who dropped into Jericho to go after Zacchaeus, a lost man, helpless to save himself. We see a glimpse of that in what he said to Zacchaeus when he was up in the tree. He said, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I must. That means divine necessity. This has to happen. (laughs) I must stay at your house. Why? Because the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is what I came here to do. This is my purpose. This is why I was born. This is why I have lived in this world. This is why I am going to Jerusalem to die on a cross. It was to save a guy like Zacchaeus. I must do this. That's why I came. So he says to Zacchaeus, today is your day. (laughs) Today I've come for you. Your being in the tree and my passing under you was a divine appointment so that I could call you and invite myself into your life. (laughs) That's the story behind every conversion. If you're a believer in Christ, you didn't just seek Him. He sought you and He found you and He rescued you from your lostness. You were lost, and He found us. Salvation comes to you through the cross, through a call, and through the Lord coming into your life, not just for one night, but for all eternity. Do you see how He loves us? (laughs) When life gets hard or your failures loom large or you start, start to doubt His love, think about this. Jesus came to seek and to save you. If you're a believer, that the fact that you're that you're leaning into him, that you're believing, even if you're struggling, is because he came. He sought you and he rescued you. And yeah, life is hard and full of perplexing, confusing things, but you're not lost, really, anymore. You have a beautiful inheritance. It's reserved in heaven for you. He's bringing you there. He's going to bring you all the way. So now for the rest of your life, no matter how crazy the world gets, you have this fixed point that tells you who you are and where you're going. It's Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Savior for you. That's your north star that you can navigate all of life with. That's what keeps you grounded and safe and sane. So may that continually guide you to joy. That's what this season's about, joy to the world, right? Why? Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And if that's you, rejoice. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for for doing that, for having that heart toward us. As those who are dead in our trespasses and sins, we can't reach you. We can't save ourselves. You have to come in, and that's what you've done. And if there's anyone that was convicted in the sense of maybe I'm not really a believer, I pray that even right now they will say, They'll see you with your arms wide open and say, and hear you saying, come. (laughs) 
and give them that thing that they're looking for, that true life. And for those who have it already, Lord, help us rejoice, to go our way rejoicing like Zacchaeus, to recognize that you've got us covered, you're taking care of us, we can give our lives away. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response. Thank you.